You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the '80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Harry's War, released March 1st, 1981. It was written and directed by Keith Merrill and released by Taft International Pictures. Really? Oh, Taft? Taft, <laughs> Taft you dog. I'm going to play that clip after every Taft International picture. Really? Taft? <laughs> Keith Merrill was a former Utah resident, and the film was shot entirely on location near St. George, where the story takes place. If you'll recall, Merrill's earlier film this year, Windwalker, wrapped just as several guild strikes were picking up steam. But because Utah is a right-to-work state, Merrill was free to crew up entirely from non-union locals without fear of retribution, though many guilds took issue with the production, including IATSE subsidiaries, Grips Local 80, Studio Electricians Local 728, Property Craftsman Local 44, as well as Technicians Local 695 and Teamsters 399. The film only played for two weeks in theaters. Oh, God. We start in the ominous, shadowed offices of the evil United States Internal Revenue Service. Taxes are the lifeblood of this nation. Collecting taxes is a thankless job. As officers and agents of the Internal Revenue Service, we are more than just an arm of the government. We are the heart and hands of the United States Treasury. There is, however, an increasing number who willfully disregard their obligation, resist the payment of taxes, and even openly criticize the Internal Revenue Service. They're worried about this growing faction of Americans and intend to curb the problem by pursuing tax evaders and prosecuting them to the fullest extent of the law. The music is militaristic and dramatic and suddenly blurs over into being bombastic and silly as our hero shows up, and it's a perfect match for a film that can't decide if it's a comedy or a political thriller. Harry Johnson is on his mail delivery route. Can you recall our last mailman character on the podcast? Uh, that guy, the dad from uh, Fear No Evil. That is correct. Yeah. He plays a bit of street soccer with some kids in the neighborhood. Back at the post office, Harry is late for a meeting because he insists on lowering and folding the flag properly since the janitors at his office aren't doing a satisfactory job. Look, the janitors are supposed to be doing this, not us, Harry. Janitor, do you know where I found this flag? I found it wadded up in a corner on the floor. The American flag. Can you believe that? On his way to the meeting, someone hands him a letter from someone he calls Aunt Beverly. The only words we can read in the letter are, please come, in all caps at the bottom. He decides on the spot to quit his job to visit Beverly. <laughs> well, that's what you gotta do. He heads to his estranged wife's dance studio, and the door is locked with a chain lock, but he can see his daughter inside, and he reaches an arm through the door to walk along a ballet bar with his fingers. Yeah, he's like... A psychopath. Yeah, it's a little creepy when you don't know that these are his kids. An older sister enters and yells at her for not letting him in. Why don't you open the door, stupid? 
He's here to ask permission to bring the kids on an unannounced road trip to St. George, Utah. She can't think of a good excuse to say no and leaves it up to the kids. He tells her that he has no idea when they'll be back and he plans to introduce them to a lady friend. This is the only time in the film that he doesn't call her Aunt Beverly yeah. because he needs for his ex-wife to think that they are meeting a potential new stepmom. Oh, I'm going to meet an old friend of mine, a lady named Beverly Payne. Can you kids be ready by 8 o'clock? Harry? On the way to St. George, he tells the kids that he met her when he was nine and his mom had passed away. She took care of him and he took care of her because they were both alone. He called her Aunt Beverly and she called him Button. He pulls through a junkyard on the way to her property. He tells the girls to wait in the car. That was a good idea. And he walks up to the porch himself. He gets maybe 10 steps from the car before someone's firing a gun at him across the yard. He ducks low, and a man named Billy tells him, You stand up like that, you're going to get yourself killed. Um, does Beverly Payne still live here? You tax boys, you never learn. Tax? I'm, I'm not. My, my name is Harry Johnson. I, I'm an old friend. She wrote me a letter. I'm, I'm Button. Billy tells her that it's Button, not a tax collector in the yard, and they have a joyful reunion. As they climb the porch into the house, she chastises him for bringing his daughters without their mom because women's liberation is ruining America. She makes them lunch. Sitting around the dining table are many guests of all shapes and sizes. Presumably these are more of Beverly's rescued lonely people. This this whole situation feels to me like something out of nothing but trouble. Yeah, totally. Like, it was like a crazy house in the middle of a junkyard, dinner with a bunch of weirdos. Yeah. One of the strangers welcomes Harry to the mission and tells him that he's in good hands. Aunt Beverly starts to say grace, but then includes a few bizarre details. Protect us from sin and the Russians. And please, forgive the secret rulers if you can. During this portion of the prayer, one of her guests covertly hits record on a tape deck in his jacket. She walks right over to the man and asks her new friend to introduce himself to the group. He calls himself Draper. Another of her guests encourages Beverly to share her prediction about a nuclear bomb going off in the desert. Beverly theorizes that a nuclear blast is going to turn the Middle East desert into a sheet of glass that caps off all of the oil wells. We cut to after the meal and Beverly is talking to Harry about her tax problems. She tells him she didn't have any issues until the government started burying cobalt bombs on the fault line, which sounds like she's just going crazy. Although, wasn't that like the premise of View to a Kill? Uh, well, partially, yeah. He, he was going to trigger a major earthquake. Yeah. She tells Harry that a tax agent came out to the house and they were required to provide a workspace for him to audit them. She says he couldn't find anything, but he told her that he had a feeling and he kept pursuing it and driving her crazy. She shows him a newspaper clipping about her chewing out the tax man in public and threatening to bite his ear off. Then about a month ago, I received a deficiency notice for $192,654. Beverly admits her plan that she intends for Button to take over this entire antique shop, which is what this building apparently is. I don't know the difference between an antique and a piece of junk. Well, there's not much difference. Two of Beverly's guests, the tape recorder guy and Billy, meet in the kitchen and do dishes. Billy tells Draper that she's been cooking meals like this for people since 1965. Billy also talks about how she gives away appliances and things for free to whoever needs them. Draper asks if her meals always involve her political preaching. Beverly is begging Harry now to take over the business, but he is very resistant. Beverly is in tears because she thought he'd be excited about it. He follows her to another room of the house to announce that he will quit his mailman job and take over this antique shop in the middle of nowhere. 
District Director Ernie Scalera, the taxman who worked on Beverly's case, is arguing with his commissioner over whether he can prove that Beverly is hiding profits. Somehow, they've been made aware of Harry's arrival and intend to investigate their relationship. Back at Harry's home, he is packing his things to leave his family and job to run to a crazy old lady's antique shop. Already, I can't sympathize with this character, and it will only get worse. His wife shows up while he's leaving to say her goodbyes. She worries a little that he has made this decision rashly, and he assures her that this will work out. He reminds her that she always told him to take chances, and this is one that he decided on. This Beverly must be quite a woman. Yeah, she is, you know. She, she's really something. Again, he accidentally allows his ex to believe that Beverly is a romantic partner, but is she really something? <laughs> she just seems like a crazy old lady. Yeah. They should have tried harder to make us like this Beverly character. Right now, she just seems like a crazy lady who doesn't pay taxes. I, I don't know that that changes at all. <laughs> yeah, but so far in my notes. I don't actually think we ever resolve this storyline, though. Like, I mean, I know it's central to the plot. With the tax thing? Yeah, I don't... Yeah, like, I don't as we so. As we progress, I don't think we ever really know who's the good guy and who's a bad guy in this I story. I think you're correct. And, and whether or not she does, in fact, owe any taxes. Yeah. yeah. At the IRS, Scalera is enlisting the help of a second agent to gather info on Aunt Beverly. It seems like he didn't get permission to do this, though, because he's uncomfortable talking to her about it at the office. Then he walks up to some random guy and yells at him for stuff he said in a meeting earlier. Yeah. A meeting that we didn't see, which doesn't have any bearing on the film. I don't know why this moment happens. I don't know if the scene got cut or something, but it's just confusing that this part would be cut and then... You leave this scene in. The commissioner reminds Scalera that they need good PR, and if he screws up the Beverly case, it's a problem. Scalera assures him that the case is a done deal. Harry's kids get home from school, and one of them drew a picture of Aunt Beverly in class. Because kids are bad at describing people, the kid says Bev is old as mommy, but with rockin' tits. <laughs> Does she, she look like me? me? No, because she's real big up <laughs> back in Scalera's office <laughs> he is assembling a whole new squad to tackle the Beverly problem Harry walks into a tax office with paperwork claiming to be a business associate of Beverly's intending to sort out her troubles Harry comes back home to tell Beverly that they have an appointment to discuss the tax misunderstanding and that if they can't come to an agreement the decision goes to tax court well guess who will win well we will the jury in the world will come down on our side there's no jury in the tax court? Beverly informs Harry that it's just a judge that tells you what you owe and their word is final. If they want a jury, they have to pay the hundreds of thousands of dollars in unpaid taxes and then sue to get them back. During another meal, Beverly tells everyone that if we can destroy the cosmospheres with our landing site lasers, everything will be fine. Harry's wife Kathy shows up at Beverly's home with the kids, no doubt hoping for a chance to meet her ex's new lover. Fortunately for them, Bev is no longer taking pot shots at everyone walking through her yard. It's amazing she hasn't killed someone considering how many guests she has coming in and out of her home. Yeah. Kathy and the kids walk right into the house without knocking. Back at Beverly's dinner table, a fight breaks out when a guest calls her theories crazy, and when the fighters tumble into Draper, he drops his tape recording, and Beverly picks it up. She's furious to find a spy at her table and starts beating him with a loaf of bread until Harry can get it away from her and shove Draper out the door. Kathy walks in with the kids during this scuffle, and Harry introduces Beverly. It's never fully explained why Kathy is here, but suddenly it is hours later, and Beverly has already tucked the kids in for bed without talking to them about it. Yeah. 
She starts preparing a room for Kathy and Harry to share, but she only has one pillow. Kathy informs her that they are in the process of divorcing, and Beverly hints that maybe divorce would be a mistake. From a cranky old woman who's been going to bed alone for 33 years, I think you better take some advice. Share the pillow. I'm just going to say this right now, that... Uh, we're not getting divorced, and I will not share a pillow with you. That has no, nothing to ridiculous. do with it. <laughs> one pillow is not even a reasonable request for a I will go couple. 33 years without a pillow before I share one with somebody. Well, unless, unless you have like one of those like queen-sized pillows like where it no. goes the entire length of the no. bed. Mm-mm. It will not share a pillow. The next morning, Harry gives his family a tour of the property and talks through his plans for remodeling the place. Kathy tells him that they really must be going, but the kids insist on a game of hide-and-seek. Harry hides under the house where Billy finds him. What are you doing? Shh. Playing hide-and-seek. Them landmines you're sitting on, son. Turns out the whole yard that his kids are running around is littered in old explosives. I remember a couple of guys in France tried this once. Both got killed. (laughs) That's so sad. (laughs) In the house, Harry's older daughter tries to hide in a closet and falls through the floor into an abandoned bomb shelter. Kathy has to help her out. Billy helps Harry to safely get away from the mine. They drop it into a barrel full of water where it eventually explodes after fizzing in the water for a moment. Kathy and the kids are startled by the sound and rush outside. When Kathy learns that there's bombs here, she takes the kids and leaves, which is what I wanted her to do, and she immediately did it. She's yes. like, okay, never mind, bye. We're never coming back. This is where Harry first notices that Beverly has a tank in her yard. I guess the explosion blew a tarp off it or something. Well, it, it's, it's, it was, is this a tank or? It, it's like a tank truck. Yeah, it's a half track. Yeah. Sure, half track. We half all know tank. what that is. It's a half track. Googling now. <laughs> she mimed on her phone without actually touching the screen (laughs) fine (laughs) i'm not asking you to google it i believe richard hashtag believe all richards oh yeah look at that that's definitely what that is (laughs) i played enough battlefield 1942 to know what half track there you go harry heads to the hardware store to get remodel supplies and they inform him that his previous check bounced at the bank he learns that his accounts have been frozen on account of his business association with tax evader Beverly Payne. Harry heads directly into the tax office, where he's given the runaround, by the members of Scalera's hit squad. Eventually, he hijacks a conference call to speak with the director directly. When they try to wrestle the phone away from him, he destroys a man's desk and barges into Scalera's office, uninvited, before security is called to drag him out of the building. Harry assures Scalera that there must be some mistake in freezing his accounts, and Scalera basically floats the option to roll over on Beverly to get his money back. In tax court, Harry makes the case that her tax obligations are totally offset by deductibles in the form of charitable donations. Included in her quote-unquote donations are the weekly meals that she provides, but the prosecutor alleges that her mission is not tax-exempt because it serves a political purpose on account of her conspiracy rants. Draper takes the stand, and they play some of her political theories. Draper also seems somewhat upset with himself. Yeah, he's he feels bad about it because he knows that this woman's heart is in the right place. But she is blurting out political stuff mm-hmm. for the entirety of these meals. During his testimony, Harry is handed Beverly's will, which seems like an invasion of privacy to me, 
but it shows that all of her possessions have been left to Harry in the event of her passing. Harry gets fed up with the line of questioning and steps away from the stand to implore that the judge allow him to explain the entire story from the beginning. For some reason, the judge says, sure. Yeah. We don't need to give this attorney his time to question you. Just go ahead and tell us your side of the story. Harry tries to excuse the political nature of the meals she offers, explaining that she just wants to feed people and she doesn't care if they agree with her. The judge calls Beverly to the stand and very calmly points out all the problems in her tax paperwork and federal crimes that she has committed by avoiding addressing the problem. The judge agrees with the IRS and court is adjourned. It doesn't seem like anyone is lying here. The judge has the information and Beverly is not properly paying her taxes. She has a meltdown and starts throwing things around the court until her heart gives out and she dies. Yeah. I mean, we also established earlier that she's totally nuts. So I don't understand Mm -hmm. why we're supposed to be siding with her. I don't know if we are supposed to side with her because Harry seems just as crazy. Like he's literally destroying things at the tax office to try and get his point across instead of just following the rules. All of her regular guests are crowded around her funeral proceedings. When Harry returns to her property, he finds it locked and seized by the U.S. government. Harry walks up to the porch where he finds Scalera, who apologizes for what happened in court. Scalera reminds him that they are obligated to pursue unpaid taxes to pay for public goods. What do you think this country is about, Johnson? It's about housing, education, defense, welfare, Medicare, highways, social security. It's about taxes, Johnson. Scalera reminds him that he is operating with the full strength of the U.S. Treasury, and Harry chases him off the porch with a fire extinguisher. Scalera assures him that they will get the money one way or another and that he is technically trespassing, but Harry has also inherited Beverly's disregard for the law. He breaks into the building and sits at Beverly's desk with her cat. Harry steps to a mirror and starts dressing himself in antique army gear. We cut to a local news station where they're about to interview Scalera. He gives the reporter a pack of questions to ask him and paints the IRS in the best light. He reminds them not to mention Beverly's death in tax court. Harry climbs into the half track that he found. <laughs> clever edit. You say, Self-edit. You say it with stuff just it sounded disdain. like ADR. <laughs> Harry climbs into the half track <clears throat> that he found on Beverly's property. He drives the half track across town and through a wall into a news studio. Again. Well, well oh, oh, yeah, but before that happens, though, oh, yeah. the, the, the reporter who graciously accepted the questions to read it, the very first question is yeah he just completely ignores them but- so this woman died in a tax court let's talk about that harry hijacks the broadcast i declare war on the internal revenue service of the united states i'm challenging the right of the irs to assess harass intimidate and seize property of the citizens without due process the problem here being that they went through the courts That's what due process is. She had her time in court and they said, but you didn't pay taxes. And she said, whatever, and then died. (laughs) Uh, Also, Harry has almost killed at least four or five people. He burst through the wall. Um, I also like that the police are trying to come in to investigate, but like the stage managers are like, like yeah keep, just keep, stay on the side yeah and and the cop is like actually go oh are, are you filming yeah <laughs> he's like super nervous he's, about he's it. accepting the authority of this stagehand <laughs> at home the kids see daddy on tv and tell their mom after his speech harry gets back in the half track and leaves 
The cops chase him for a long time, but eventually the cop blocks the half track on a bridge and gets out just before Harry pushes the car over the side of the bridge where it explodes. <laughs> this is a straight murder attempt. Yeah. The cop even has to open fire on the tank when Harry refuses to stop driving at him. The half track. <laughs> <laughs> Armored I can't vehicle. do a find and replace on my phone document. <laughs> The press is swarming the IRS building, but Scalera tells everyone to refuse comment. I want a total blackout on this thing. No statements, nothing. The commissioner comes in to chew Scalera out for giving away that taxes are a bluff. Once it's blown, we go back to a constitutional government. Really. It's like, what are you talking about? She didn't pay taxes. She's it's, paying the penalty. But also, this is not a bluff. They didn't pay taxes, and now people are after him. Yeah. And if this gets on the news, they will see... That if you don't pay taxes, the government will come after you. Yeah. <laughs> taxes are not a bluff, and they are outlined in the Constitution. They provide for the public. A pair of Scalera's men pull up to Harry's new house, which is actually not Harry's, and very nearly drive <laughs> over a landmine. They notice signs warning about explosives, but assume that he is bluffing until their car suddenly explodes. <laughs> They continue toward the house for a bit, but after two or three more mines explode, they make a run for it down the street. Later, Scalera lies to the press that Harry was arrested for being crazy and that security around his building is to protect the public from Harry's bombs. Army Major Andrew has been summoned to the property and calls in to Harry with a bullhorn. Harry fires an arrow with a note into the post beside Major Andrew. The note says, Harry wants press to cover this confrontation, but Wilda... The agent that Scalera put in charge of this case is abiding to his press blackout. Harry watches Wilda hand a smoke bomb to a cop, and suddenly a dozen other cops are firing through the front windows of the building as cover fire. The man tosses the smoke bomb in, and Harry quickly wraps it in a trash bag and throws it back out of the house where the bag inflates until it explodes, which I don't think it would do. Um, eh, it might. I, I don't know how much pressure is in those gas canisters. I guess. Um, but what I did like was that Wilda Crowley, um, when, when you see the gas going over and everyone's gagging, except for her, who she was already prepared with yeah. a gas mask on. Yeah. Despite her earlier declaration, Kathy returns with the kids now. She asks Billy where Harry is and learns that he's trapped in the building that the cops have surrounded. Two more taxmen make plans to circle around the back of the house to sneak in, but Harry is watching them. Meanwhile, Billy, the other guy who used to live here, leads Kathy and the kids into a barn for a secret passageway into the house. Why? Why are Why you doing this? Why would you do this? Yeah. There's no planet where this would happen, especially after you took the kids away because there were bombs on the premises. You're, yeah. you're walking through a secret passage into the house that's loaded with bombs? Like, I, I, I guess that there is a world where she still loves him and she thinks she can help this situation, but you don't take your children in there. Yeah. This is ridiculous. I like. I think I lost it at this point in the movie. Like, I wasn't really on board with it at all, and now I'm completely done. One of the tax men breaks a window in the back door and reaches into the building to open it, but Harry snaps his hand in a bear trap and leaves him strung up outside the door. The other tax man is moving through the secret passage under the house and somehow gets stuck between some bars. I can't tell what happens to this guy. Kathy and the kids rush into the house, but... The man breaks free of the bars and starts firing his handgun at the family. Yeah. Harry hits the guy in the leg with another arrow and then pushes him down the ladder into the bomb shelter. Seconds later, we hear an explosion. Uh, was the shelter mined? 
I don't know what this explosion is supposed to be because we see this guy later. Well, he he just falls back into the mine shaft that leads back outside, but he. Yeah. It seems like these landmines, as explosive as they are, don't, don't deal. actually hurt. Anybody. Yeah, they don't hurt anybody. They're just for they're decorative landmines. Kathy apologizes for everything that she has done to Harry, whatever that means. You look wonderful. I mean, I'm assuming that she cheated on him. I don't know. Who knows? Why, why are they getting divorced? Something must have happened. Harry thinks that at least the people will see that it's an option to put up a fight, but Billy informs him that the press thinks that Harry was committed to an asylum. He puts Billy in charge of spreading the word to the press. As Billy is sneaking out, he encounters the guy that I thought just exploded in a maze of hay bales, and the guy shoots Billy through the shoulder. Harry sees real tanks arriving, better tanks than his half-track. <laughs> Which is not a tank. Which is not a tank. <laughs> he is astonished to see that the army has arrived. You don't think they know you're just trying to make a point. <laughs> what point? Why would they realize it? Wilda pulls aside the major again and warns them against destroying this house as it's now the property of the government and worth a lot of money to them. A squad of soldiers approach the porch. One lays across razor wire so the rest can walk over his back yeah. to set up charges to explode on the porch. As Kathy and the kids rush back through the secret tunnel to escape, the crazy shooter tax man yanks an automatic weapon off of a soldier and fires it at the fleeing family. They all race back into the house. The Major notices in his binoculars that a woman and children are visible in the window. Harry tucks his family into the bomb shelter and says that he needs to somehow communicate the misunderstanding to the army. How do you say I'm sorry for a war? The Major and Wilda fight over whether or not Harry has hostages, and the Major concludes, I just might be on the wrong side in this war. In the middle of the night, they shine spotlights on the house. Harry starts writing a letter when reinforcements arrive. Billy managed to get through to the press, and they're finally arriving to cover the conflict. Well, Wilda, can we, can we like just take a second and assess what are the two sides of this war? The two sides of this war is a crazy guy. Okay, mm -hmm. there is. Is there more to that? Because that's all I can see. Not really. Uh, he seems to be. He keeps calling the woman Aunt Beverly, so maybe they're related, and maybe he inherited some of her mental illness. But he's crazy in the same way she was which is that he refuses to pay taxes because he thinks that they're not in the constitution and so but he's I willing like to that kill his initial like like i don't feel like he thought that before he started yeah has he been paying taxes his own taxes yeah but like so suddenly she says i pay i i paid my taxes and i don't owe the rest of these taxes and he's like yeah you're totally right and they're falsely trying to take money from you and he's willing to die for this? I think the movie wants us to be on his side. Because the movie just knows people hate taxes, right? That People don't know what taxes are for, right? <laughs> I The moment I stopped being on his side was probably much later than you guys. It w but was when he drove through the wall and almost killed a bunch of people. I just I like, wanted oh, some okay. indication that this was actually a clerical error. Like, just have one scene where... Scalera know, admits that they yeah. did something wrong, but that it's too late to you, turn around. You, you needed to justify his point of view, because at this point, we have no indication if she was lying or wrong or really does owe taxes or or maybe she earnestly thinks she didn't. But the government's like, yeah, technically you do. And therefore, they went through the courts and it's like, yeah, you do. What is he fighting for? 
Like just that all taxes are abolished? He wants no one to pay taxes. No one. He wants no one to pay taxes. He wants everyone to stop paying taxes because the government can't. Or he wants to fix the error against his Aunt Beverly. Or he wants taxes to be voluntary for everyone. I don't get this movie. I don't either. Wilda demands that all the arriving press be arrested for trespassing on federal property. She freaks out because she was in charge of keeping the press away, but really it's too late for that. The major calls in to demand the release of Harry's hostages. The press is already making Harry out to be the good guy. All America is watching tonight. Some here call this Harry's war. But could it be that he is actually fighting for us all? I don't get it. Harry tosses a paper airplane offering a hostage exchange, his wife and children, for Scalera. On his way through the crowd, Scalera describes all of Harry's mistakes with the press, and they ask if he's actually broken any laws, to which the answer is a very simple yes, yes. but he won't say that. So he, many laws. Yeah, there's so many laws that he's broken. He tried to murder a cop earlier today. I, he He most certainly did at least disfigure or maim one yeah Yeah. stuck in a bear trap you know that probably cut his freaking hand off and and you are not i don't think you are allowed to break into federal property well even even your own home your own property like your home set set up landmines on your property yeah but he pretends like it's a gotcha moment he drove a half track through a news segment and tried to murder a cop earlier Harry demands Scalera come up first, and then he releases his family to the crowd. Harry puts a big gun to Scalera's head and demands a fair trial. It seems like this entire film boils down to one fact. Tax court doesn't have juries, and that doesn't seem fair. And that's literally what this entire movie was written about, is that tax court should have a jury so that uninformed populace can say, I feel sorry for that person, even though they've avoided paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes, they should go home scot-free. Yeah, but like, he doesn't make that particular point. That's not what he's trying to say. Well, he repeats it here. A trial by a jury of my peers, that's guaranteed to me by the Constitution. Is the IRS more important than that? Look, Johnson. Is the IRS above the Constitution of the United States, Mr. Solera? Harry thinks the case is so simple. He basically claims to be a sovereign citizen and says that the IRS has no right to collect taxes. He says murderers have more rights than tax evaders in this country, but I don't know what he's talking about or what he's basing that on. Murderers go to prison. That's well, I guess I guess what he's saying is that when a murderer goes to trial, there's a jury. Yeah, but the a jury is more capable of understanding a murder than they are of understanding intricate tax laws well i mean there's a difference i think between you know a a jury of your peers deciding on you know the the moral implications Mm -hmm. of what has been done and and what the punishment needs to be versus this is the letter of the law and you and you broke it yeah it's yeah they're not asking you to to judge some some legal gray area they have a calculator and they're saying this is the money you owe and this is what you paid So a jury isn't necessary to tell you that the numbers are different. Then he starts making elementary school non-arguments for why taxes are inherently evil. Hitler would have loved the IRS. (laughs) It's like, okay, you're really losing the argument when you start bringing Hitler into it. His wife is smiling wide in the crowd and starts a slow clap because apparently she and Harry both inhaled the same brain-eating bugs. Harry tries to head back into the house when Scalera wrestles a gun from a cop and then shoots at the explosive charges on the porch. 
This is like going way overboard to try and make this character a bad yeah. guy. He was literally just a tax collector, and then suddenly you had him try to murder a person for no reason. The crowd is rushed away from the home. Without firefighters in sight, there's nothing they can do to save Harry, or the cops still bear-trapped to the back door. Everyone watches depressed as fire engulfs the entire property. The next morning, we see Harry's arm throw open the hatch to the bomb shelter, and we freeze frame. If we wanted people to forget about this option, we shouldn't have gone back to that room so many times for no reason. Yeah. But what about the guy in the bear trap? He's dead. <laughs> He's fucking There's dead. There's a skeleton hanging out of the back door of this house. Also, I think that the heat of that fire would have just baked him inside mm-hmm. of that bunker. <laughs> we get a quick epilogue for a few of the characters. Ernie Scalera, awaiting congressional investigation at a federally subsidized sanatorium. Wilda Crawley, patrolling school crossings in Barstow, California. Commissioner Croft is the new advisor for the petroleum-producing countries. What does that mean? Why, why are we finding out what happened to that character if it's not interesting at all? Yeah. All of them, though? He, he's, he's the advisor for every petroleum-producing country? Chester Clem, that's the cop who was strapped to the outside of the building and only got an epilogue to cover up that he clearly died. Became a best-selling author with his book, Inside the IRS. In my headcanon, this book was published posthumously. (laughs) Aren't these usually funny or interesting? Francis Kane became rich structuring tax-sheltered motion picture investment packages. Major Andrews. this movie was. Yeah, it clearly was. (laughs) Major Andrews transferred to Washington in charge of recruiting women for the new army. What? I don't get it. Sergeant Billy Floyd was awarded the Purple Heart. Beverly Payne, remembered through the Beverly Payne Mission Foundation, funded by a tax-supported government grant. So wait, are taxes good or bad? Because they paid know. for this mission. I don't know. They paid for the mission named after her. Is she furious up in heaven that taxes went to something good? Harry Johnson is running for Congress under an assumed name. Harry's war has just begun. What? You really thought there was going to be a sequel to this? Well, and why does he need to use an assumed name? Why why can't Don't he Don't you ha- want the PR of this whole event? Yeah, why can't he have survived? Oh, I know why. Cuz his name is fucking Harry Johnson. You can't run for office with your with your name being Harry Johnson. <laughs> Edward Herman did come back to play a judge in a few episodes of Harry's Law, but it is not the sequel to this film. <laughs> Was that the Kathy Bates? I think series? so, yeah. Mhm. Writer-director Keith Merrill just directed Windwalker. He also directs a lot of nature documentaries centered on national parks. Most recently, he just directed 12 Dogs of Christmas, Great Puppy Rescue. That's the (laughs) sequel to 12 Dogs of Christmas. The music here was from Meryl B. Jensen, who also did music on Windwalker. Cinematographer Reed Smoot, also DP on Windwalker. Second unit camera work on Temple of Doom and Kingdom of Crystal Skull. Editor Burt Lovett later edited Amazon Women on the Moon, Predator 2, RoboCop 3, and somehow uncredited The Ghost in the Darkness. I don't know how you get an uncredited editor credit. Edward Herman was Harry Johnson. He was Grant Staten III in Overboard. He was FDR in Annie. He's Max in The Lost Boys. But unfortunately for Herman, the first thing I think of is always the dad from the Richie Rich movie. Aw. Why is that unfortunate? Because that movie sucks. He also showed up as, I think, Nick Swartzen's dad in Bucky Larson. <laughs> do you remember Bucky Larson? Uh, I do. I remember it's that movie that movie about existed. Nick Swartzen being a porn star. Yeah. 
Uh, I, I liked Edward Herman in um, Intolerable Cruelty. Okay, yeah. He's good in that. Geraldine Page was Aunt Beverly. She's Angie. You mentioned Gilmore Girls, right? No, was Edward Herman on that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's like the only thing I know him from. I've never seen an episode I've of never Gilmore seen an episode oh. of it either, but I'm just you like. You know him from it and you've never seen it. Yeah, but he's her dad. Oh, okay. So he's a Gilmore guy. Lorelai's dad, not Rory's dad. It's Rory's grandpa. I don't know who those people are. That's okay. They're Gilmore girls. Oh. He's still a Gilmore guy, right? He's a Gilmore guy, yes. Yeah, so it all makes sense. Geraldine Page played Aunt Beverly. She was Angie Lowe in Hondo, which we saw a poster for last year. Do you remember where? You're going to say Fade to Black. No. No? Oh. It's another person who's obsessed with old movies. Bogart's face. Oh. Yeah, the Hondo poster in his okay. office. Geraldine Page is also Eve in Interiors and Alexandra DeLago in Sweet Bird of Youth. We'll see her later this year as Sister Mary Clarice in Honky Tonk Freeway. Karen Grassel was Kathy. She's Caroline Ingalls in Little House on the Prairie. She's Mrs. Sutherland in that other Wyatt Earp movie called Wyatt Earp. <laughs> David Ogden Steers was Ernie. He's Major Winchester on MASH. He was the voice of Cogsworth in Beauty and the Beast and Mr. Maylard in 18 episodes of Regular Show. He's the announcer in George Lucas's THX 1138 feature, and I used to constantly mix him up with Donald Pleasance. I can see that. Salome Jens was Wilda. She's in Cloud Dancer, which I'll get to with a belated minisode this year. She was Sister Margaret, Pete Thornton's ex-girlfriend in MacGyver episode The Road Not Taken, and she's a female shapeshifter in 15 episodes of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it's weird that her credit for Deep Space Nine is just female shapeshifter when she is the primary antagonist of like four seasons of that show <laughs> but that they don't have names right so that like that is the name that she has elijah cook jr was sergeant billy he's harry jones in the big sleep and wilmer cook in the maltese falcon we had him last year as a stable hand in tom horn and as on your mark in carney i think that's the guy who gets trampled to death toward the end of the film or run over by a car uh yeah by those guys that were driving through the circus and fucking everything up james ray was the commissioner we just had him as haynes in charlie chan and the curse of the dragon queen douglas dirksen played draper he was the incompetent spy follett in hopscotch last year as well as bible louis in gorp he'll be back this year for king of the mountain Gerald Zyman played IRS attorney. He was Tom Wood in 9 to 5, and this was his last role. James McCrell played a newsman. He was Mr. Thorne in Teen Wolf. He plays news reporter Lou Landers in two Joe Dante films, Gremlins and The Howling, presumably a reference to independent film and TV director Lou Landers. Noble Willingham played Major Andrews. He's Dr. Fenster from Brubaker last year, charging patients for care. Back this year for The Howling and first Monday in October this season. He's Clay Stone in City Slickers, General Taylor in Good Morning Vietnam, and Riddle in Ace Ventura 1. Mm -hmm. But he's probably best known as C.D. Parker in 155 episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah. Prentice Rowe was the sheriff, also a sheriff in Long Riders last year. And then Vernon Weddle was Pondy or Pond. He was apparently playing in one of the soccer games from Last Married Couple last year. He was also a plainclothes cop in Getting Wasted last year, which is getting a belated mini-sode this year. He was also one of the scientists testing Ellen Burstyn in Resurrection. 
He was the school superintendent in Oh God Book 2. This year he'll appear in The Devil and Max Devlin and Carbon Copy. He also played General Washburn in Short Circuit and Reverend Hubbard in Norma Ray. Those are all the credits I had for this one. Uh, this is a down. <laughs> I wouldn't watch this again. The protagonist is completely unsympathetic. I think it relies really heavily on people not understanding and hating taxes just for existing. Yeah. And how hard would it have been to just write a story about a person who was taxed unfairly right. or incorrectly? Right? You, you know what's a better tax movie? Popeye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But if you if you make the tax collectors seem like they're following the law and that the law is reasonable and that the only reason that it's a problem is because you're not letting people break it. And 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 when the person who is supposed to be sympathetic just does everything like a lunatic. And also their kids get shot at so many times in this yeah. movie. I hate this person. I really didn't want him to survive the fire. I, I just there's no there's no reason to like the the escalation in this movie like he's just suddenly instantly like goes crazy the first time a gun went off in the front yard turn around get in your car and leave and never come back to this place but that's not what he did i, I he just like is just automatically on her side and i feel as bad for this character as i, I do understand. for ammon bundy and any of those people that like broke into some random government building on the edge of town and we're like yeah we're gonna destroy this place uh why why are you doing that because <laughs> i mean it's obviously it's not an antique shop already you burned down her whole antique shop so everything she's built for her entire life you caused it to get burned to the ground the end yeah and, and we really don't get a sense of if anything has changed like did the well he went off to join the you know congress and try but, to change but he, it from the inside but he joined a congress under an assumed name which i think is hey, i don't understand a the, weird weird thing to do and and all that stuff that he was fighting for with the property and everything is is gone yeah there's 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 nothing there's no money to pay back because it's probably the liability of them burning down the house in the first place he could sue them for more money than she owed the government so he's already made a profit on her whole tax situation by burning the whole place down but he has to live off that for the rest of his life because he gave up a cushy government job but he should just be in jail yes he should be in jail for multiple reasons yeah it's weird i, I feel it. i feel like the last ditch effort to make david ogden steers a villain is like you said at the end when he pulls a gun and just starts shooting this is like this is all you got yeah because they realized at that point like oh no <laughs> the wrong guy is the bad guy there's one guy that's following all the laws and there's another guy who's just spouting crazy shit and pushing his kids in front of bullets all day it's granted he was doing it in a very smug way but he shouldn't I, be in the right <laughs> yeah but really it it just needed one moment where they're all sitting in the office and he says, you know what, I screwed up. She doesn't owe those taxes, but it's too late. Yeah. We have to save the face of this department or I'm going to get fired. And just have that be the story, that this woman was being taxed unfairly and it's a fight worth having. But the way the film ends, she was in the wrong the entire time. They just didn't want to pay taxes because nobody wants to pay taxes, but we all do it because it's important. And that's how things get paid for. Yeah, I mean, this is a... This was just a slog to get through. Yeah. 
but it's definitely a down for me. It's a um, down. Oh, it's a down. Do we know where this is going, Letterboxd? Yeah, out of 18 films, I have it at 16. It is it is only above, currently on my list, Home Sweet Home and Scream, just because it had slightly better production value. But it is below Earthbound, because at least Earthbound was amusing in its badness. Then we have the same bottom four, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I, Earthbound, Harry's War, Home Sweet Home, and Scream. Yeah, that's, those are mine. Yeah, <laughs> we're all <laughs> the same. Yeah, because I would literally rather watch Earthbound, a too. failed TV pilot yes. with a zero budget. At least it had a green monkey. That's true. <laughs> Where was the green monkey in this movie? I would have liked at least one green monkey. I think that's everything there is to say about Harry's War. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We have a Discord now. You can find the button at the top of our .com and join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future. You guys are perfectly welcome to join that conversation, uh, too, I if you like. To? You don't have to. I'm I just turned the notifications off because you guys talk a lot. We talk a lot if you're not there. If you're there, it's not a lot. It's just a conversation. I have work to do during the day. <laughs> I, I, I also search I for Vintage Video <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> also search for Vintage Video Podcast on YouTube and subscribe to our new channel there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Pinball Summer, a.k.a. Pickup Summer, which IMDb describes like so. It's a summer of fun for two teenage boys who spend their time chasing two sisters, annoying a biker gang, and basically getting into typical sophomoric hijinks whenever they can. We leave you now with a trailer for Pinball Summer, a.k.a. Pickup Summer. Now some kids like good, clean fun. I go. And some kids don't like good, clean fun. Some kids like to mess around. Hold it! Everybody else. And some kids like to fool around. Oh. What the hell's going on? I beg your pardon. Care for a toke? Oh. And that's what Pinball Summer is really all about. Things like making trouble. <laughs> and making out. I guess I haven't changed my socks in a couple of days. Getting high. You're lighting it the wrong way, Frankie. And riding high. Summer. A movie that makes you wish that summer would last forever. Pinball Summer. <laughs> <laughs>